Hello and welcome to the next edition of Lights on Europe. Today we speak to Nikita Stampa, who used to be my boss when we worked on public procurement reforms in Slovakia and Central Europe. However, this edition is not only about his career, it's mainly about the walk. The walk that he embarked on to cross Europe all the way to Jerusalem without credit card or any other resources. The walk that changed his life, that taught him to work with his own courage, to listen to the inner voice, to be comfortable with silence. And also a walk that gave him inspiration to change his career and create a completely different kind of job. You may also learn a lot about his engagement with Belgian youth and maybe be inspired if you feel like the education of today doesn't really fulfill the needs of the future. Hello Nikita, welcome to our podcast. Hello Lucia. You used to be my boss and I always say that I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity that we could have worked together because you're also very popular here in the institutions. And so thank you very much for coming on the podcast and sharing a little bit about your journey here in Brussels and European institutions. Thank you very much. I think it's really a great idea what you're doing and I'm very happy to contribute and participate. Thank you. So let's go in medias res into our experience of working together. I was one of your uh, one of the people on your team when we used to work together on policy for public procurement, which is a very hardcore regulatory uh, legalistic job and it was very interesting. But one day you appeared with this idea or rather an announcement that you will leave us for a couple of months and go on a sabbatical break to reflect a little bit more about, I guess, your life and career in Europe. So let's look at what was this idea, where did it come from, why did you do this, what was it as an experience? Well, actually it was a walk or I could even say a pilgrimage. And the whole story started in actually 2011, where I decided that I would engage in a long walk. I mean, my dream had always been to do that in one go, to go to Santiago de Compostela in one go, but then having a family, having a job, it was not possible. But the one day I decided I will just do a week and then I will start from there and do another week uh, the, the year after and so on. So I started in 2011 with the idea of going to Santiago, but after just 10 kilometers of walk, I met somebody that I knew actually, was from a village nearby, and uh, we had a conversation, and in that, after that conversation, he gave me a book, and he said, you have to read that book, and he put it in my bag. And uh, a few kilometers later, I opened the book, and the book was A Pied à Jérusalem, meaning the story of a guy who had gone to Jerusalem. And when I saw and I read that book, I said, but actually that's what I'm doing. I'm not going to Santiago as I initially thought. The, it's a project of my life. I will just go uh, to Jerusalem. I remember when I first visited you in your office, you have, as many of us have, maps of Europe on our walls. And you had these little post-its marking the parts of the walk that you've already done. And as, as many people, I guess, I also had the reflex, is this part of the Santiago path, because mm. that's mo what most of the people are doing. And for most of the people, it was really incomprehensible. Why would you choose Jerusalem? Is this a re religious calling? Or is this simply because it's not 
a similar cliche to what many people see behind the Santiago paths. So why do you think this concept of Jerusalem was so, such a strong calling for you? That's a very interesting question and not easy to answer, actually. Uh, well, the first is the one I told you about this book that came and really struck uh, me deeply. And I say, yes, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, indeed, there is this aspect that Jerusalem, uh, that Santiago, there is so many people going already doing, although that's a nice part of it, is you meet so many people. But I also was wanted something maybe more lonely, a bit more, uh, less, I mean, hors de sentier battu, as we say in French. Uh, Which means in English? Uh, well, off the beaten track, I would okay. say, a bit off the beaten track. And then it's true there is more, I wouldn't say religious, but spiritual reason, which has to do with my childhood. When I was a child, I had this admir admiration for Jesus. And this has, it's also something maybe incomprehensible. It was there, it has always been there. And when I read the book, I say, well, maybe that's, it makes sense for me also. This, this place culturally is very much charged with all these uh, different uh, religion being there in Jerusalem. I don't know, but definitely the link with the Christ was, was something that was also uh, calling. Without being religious, it was something that was attracting me. Then I did the first walk was a week in 2011. I did another week in 2012. Then I took 15 days, then three weeks, and I arrived at the beginning of the Alps. I think it was 2015, which was the, the, the year my father died. And my father was from Italian origin. And I was just at starting uh, crossing the, I mean, Italy, going to the south to go there to take the boat to Greece. That was the plan to, to take a few months. And uh, I then thought that I had to do something special for the death of my father. And I say something special would be taking these three months of CCP and crossing all Italy in one go. CCP being sorry, the sorry, Eurocratic for sabbatical break. Sorry, yes, of course. So I took this break. And then I add a bit of a crazy ID to it, uh, which was also stemming from that book. That guy had gone to Jerusalem with no money in his pocket, basically 50 euros, something like that. And it was just going and trusting that people would uh, feed him, that would, they would welcome him to or give him place to stay and so on. So I decided to do the same, just to, it was one big, I would say, Uh, exercise to learn trust. I decided to do that and I remember, I will always remember the first day I was there in the mountain with no money in my pocket, no food in my backpack and I said I don't know where I'm going, I don't know if I will find a place tonight to stay, if I will find food but I will just and I was dead scared of course the first time. I still remember the day when we had our picnic, it was June of that year when we were trying to somehow equip you for the journey and we bought you like this kit and the sleeping bag and God knows what and you're like but I'm gonna have to carry this on my own like I'm not gonna take this with me plus I'm not even gonna take my credit card and I'm gonna just take like a little old phone you said to stay yes. in touch with your with your wife and family But it's not like you would embark on this like high-tech three-month no, expedition. No. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, yeah, how was it on a daily basis, like really facing all these the, the fears and the, the practical challenges and the logistics of it? How did your days look? Actually, it was it went much easier than I. I mean, I, in in three months, I slept.
except one night outside. It was in the mountain uh, in France and there was only one shelter. The weather was beautiful. And I asked the guy and he said, no, if you are not registered, I don't know if you have no money, you cannot stay. So I had to stay outside. Uh, that was the only time. Otherwise, I always, always found throughout Italy, found a place to stay at night. And food, I can tell you, I mean, I, I, I really understood that, that food is really the soul of Italy. And people are so nice, nice happy to share food with you. They, they go in their garden, they bring you tomato. I probably ate more tomato in three months than in 50 years before, but never mind the delicious Italian tomato. And when you are hungry, you just take what, what you are given. And Was it difficult fish. to start asking at the beginning? I guess it must have taken yeah, a little bit of a personality work yes, in the beginning <laughs> approach you, people with this strange request and explain who you are and why yes. are you asking them for, your, yes. for their help. But you don't go straight, usually you start talking to people, they are curious, you go in villages and then you start explaining and then a kind of trust established and, and you explain maybe that what you need and it, it eventually became quite, um, quite natural actually. Although it's true that in Italy, I there was there was a word that I didn't know, uh, which was like a, really a magic key that I. Uh, uh, they have this concept in Italy of divina providencia, which is the divine providence. I don't know what would be the, and because some sometimes uh, somebody told me so you are traveling uh, under the the sponsorship I don't know how to say that in English of the Divina Providencia I say yes that's it that's a way of saying it and then I was explaining that to everybody I would meet and they would understand right away I, I didn't need any long explanation I was just saying Divina Providencia and people will just open their the arms their house and it would be so easy to 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 get a, a connection so it was really really a wonderful life-changing experience to to cross Italy like that unfortunately I had I had planned to arrive in Greece in Mount Athos that year but I had problem with my knee I eventually had to stay I end up staying a week in a monastery without money you know there was some place at some stage I was in a village I could not move anymore because my knee was was too painful and I met some people that lent me an apartment because their daughter had gone and I stayed in that apartment for five days and they would bring me food every day. I mean, things you cannot believe. That so how. far it sounds super optimistic <laughs> and easy to do. Yes. Share a little bit more. What were the challenges or the highs and lows on the journey? What is it that created a transformative journey out of it? Well, the transformative is all this, this, this connection, this relation, the fact of daring, the fact of uh, all that, and also the time you spend in silence about yourself, knowing yourself, and so on. But of course, there is one thing that is very much connected to work that changed, in a way, my professional life, is in all those, in meeting all these people, all these people through villages of Italy, hundreds of them, uh, sometimes with, with whom I had a very deep conversation, and there was not a single one that had positive words for the EU, for Europe. And in general, that was mainly disappointment. People were disappointed about Europe. And that was so painful because you can hear it once, you can hear it twice, but if you hear it all the journey, uh, and you are like myself, somebody who's deeply convicted, deeply uh, involved in Europe and really believing in that, that how important that project uh, 
uh, is now it's becoming more obvious for for everybody but that has since my childhood is there in me that really believing in, in European value in the European peace project so when you are there in Italy in in the founding member states meeting all these uh, people who were disappointed about Europe that was so striking so striking for me that when I came back I said I cannot come back to my office as if I hadn't seen that because of course we hear in Europe people are there Euroscepticism people are maybe critical here and there you but that's some a different experience when you experience it directly like this so I, it, it was deep sadness and it, it really triggered some reaction uh, of course I was not <laughs> to save Europe and to recover you know the trust of Italians but I said I have to do something at my level so I, I started thinking with you colleagues we start we, we thought about how engage differently uh, with um, with member states what can we do uh, with in general with stakeholders among ourselves how we can work and, and I took a coach I discussed that I had a coach but then we really looked at this in, in depth what can be done differently and she gave me an article from uh, uh, called uh, From Business to Impact, from uh, Harvard Business Review, which I found quite uh, interesting, which was really about leadership and purpose. That if you have to, in order to be a leader, the, the, you have to have a clear idea of what is your purpose as an individual, but of course in an institution like ours that we are driven by a purpose. And uh, I thought that that was an interesting way this, this, this reflection was an interesting way to help leaders in the institution to reconnect with what they are here for. And uh, because my, my feeling is that one way of overcoming uh, this skepticism is to have true leadership at all levels of the institution. We know the political level through the television and so on, the papers. But a lot of Europe is happening in these encounters, numerous encounters we have with our counterpart in the member states, with the civil society in member states and so on. So the way you interact with them is crucial. One of the ideas that came into my mind with, with a colleague, we were discussing with a colleague about what we could do and so on, was the idea to take, because that was my experience and I saw, saw the power of walking, I said let's go and walk together with other managers and think about purpose, our own purpose and the purpose of Europe and what we could do to bring that more in our job. And then I met many people, I test the ID, some people said you are completely crazy, others were over enthusiastic. But at the end I arrived here at the European School of Administration and I met the, the director, Anna Smedeby, and proposed her. I say I want to pilot this, would, would you be interested? to pilot it with, uh, I mean, to put it in the catalog so that managers... Could and so European School of Administration is a service within European institutions which provides us people working in the institutions with training on all kinds of subjects. So typically yes. it can be hard skills like using new software on computers through policy making procedures all the way to all kinds of funky stuff and soft skills. So no. I guess... Uh, yeah, there is a soft skills, there is a management, there's really a focus on management in the school. That's mm -hmm. really one of the core business. Then there's something which is a bit more technical, it's called certification, I will not enter into that. But of course, one of the core thing is really management and leadership. And that's where 
there was an interest that there was a yeah why not let's try so we tried uh, but as you say I was still a, I was still a head of unit but that was also seen uh, very positively by the participant as really a peer it's its peers that we discuss among peers it's not an external consultant that comes and, and talk about the, although <laughs> there's I have nothing against external consultant they, they can certainly add a lot of value but here it was really this idea of let's work let's think together we walk together we think together about what we could do uh, differently and also very concretely so it starts with some kind of deeper introspection and the walk is very useful for that it really creates a special atmosphere among people but also for for personal uh, introspection so we bring them through a number of exercise and including creativity walk silence and so on to towards clarifying really what's their purpose and and how that relates with European purpose and it and takes a couple of days it's somewhere in Belgium you yeah. as a Belgian you have a yeah, special understanding of which are the nicer yeah, it's places actually it's on the Santiago it's on the path to Santiago we we thought with Natalie who's the person with whom I designed the, the the course that doing it on the Santiago de Compostela path would would be symbolic. symbolic and would have a lot of value so we did that it's only part of the, the path but still of the way that is on the path but still that's how we did it so the first uh, it was really a success the pilot was a success we got great feedback uh, from the participant so Anna said told me but why don't you then do more next year and I say but well okay <laughs> I have my other job I would lo love to do that Uh, but uh, well, it's not sure uh, my my hierarchy and also my team needs me for other things. So, and then the coincidence or how you call it that uh, there was a uh, there was a post open in the in the school three months after. So I rang I rang back Anna. I say, I'm ready to step down as a head of unit and come to work in the in the school to develop that 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 project that concept. And she said, yes, of course, apply and, and then let's hope you get the job. And uh, and that's how it came. It's a bit unusual to step down. You know, many people, they strive to become a head of unit, including myself. It was important in my career to become a head of unit. But there I can tell you I had zero doubt. Zero doubt. There is really when, when it, you, you Once feel Once you it. know, you know. Yes. I, I When she said it's possible and if you come, let's develop this. Uh, I had zero doubt. I think this is the place where I have to be. So. And so, what's your new job about? It's not only about the walks. Walks no. are a piece of a bigger puzzle that you're trying to build as a new leadership education program yes. here for the management in the institutions. Yeah. The, the, I mean, of course, the first part and the big part is really to scale up these uh, walking seminars, not only for managers, but for everybody, administrators, and so on, having it kind of a practice for people who are interested in that, who have some kind of leadership interest, to think about how the, what is their personal uh, purpose and, what's, and how they link it with European purpose and how they can bring that into their job in a very concrete way. Huh? It's really about, well, there is a dimension of dreaming about how if you live your, fully your, uh, your, your life purpose, what, what will be your life but how, and how you can get there. But, Also, very concretely, what you can do in the weeks to come to, you know. But first, this clarification, which is very important, that you know where you want to go. This is this is key, because that's also where you can uh, have an impact on people, on on interacting with people, on 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 leading a team. You really have to have this kind of clear compass, and of course, this compass has to be as much as aligned as possible on 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 the Europe's values and. 
and 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 even direction. So all this work is it really makes sense to do that among colleagues. The idea, and we are starting that now, is to meet regularly as as the, a small group to say, okay, how how am I doing in, in my in my job in, in doing that? How, what what are the constraints? How what I so to make also co-development groups. So all this idea of, of coaching together so oneself with colleagues, peer learning and so on, we think it's it's key. So that's part of my the, the job at Indeed, as you say, is a big picture, bigger picture. I, I'm here to work on, lead, on leadership in general, and we, I, it's it's a nice moment because we are at the school thinking about uh, the plan, the new program for the years to come. What, what should be there in leadership? And there, I mean, we are in this phase that we want to do that also in a participatory, involving a lot of people from different horizon in thinking, but definitely. Already, there is a bit this shift from management to leadership. You know, to, it, it's it's more than management, and leadership doesn't mean you know the heroic leader individual. That's not what we have in mind. Leadership is very much about bottom-up leadership, leaving space for others, about collective intelligence, all those aspects of leadership. So we want to look at, at them, and there has been a lot of evolution in 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 the over the last years about this, and also finding innovative way of delivering if you want the learning experience and of course the walk is is one innovative way there are others we have now just done an innovation boot camps for people to uh, to, to reflect in teams how to innovate uh, how to do public service innovations uh, we will all these co-development coaching peer learnings all those different ways we want to explore and that's part of my job today about designing uh, together with other colleagues designing this program for for the future. To which degree are you drawing inspiration from the national administrations? Because also during the period when we were working on public procurement reforms, those are super closely related to reform of national administrations. Mm -hmm. So from that period you know all of them and you have your impressions or feeling for which countries operate in a better or less better or more efficient or not way. Are there some member states who serve as an interesting inspiration for you in this regard or it's very different? Well, I, I certainly, I mean, the Nordic countries in general very often have uh, advanced uh, approaches. I also had a very interesting um, contact with the French administration on that. I think that there is a lot happening in many member states. You know, there are islands of innovation. There are countries where it's more systematic, uh, but there are islands of innovation uh, in, in a bit everywhere. And actually, I had the opportunity, you remember, we, we worked on, on Slovakia together, and we had a part of our, our project was of our of the of the responsibility of the unit was to to manage the policy on public procurement in Slovakia. What are your memories of Slovakia? Great, you remember we. I mean, yeah, I, we used to travel there a lot and yes, have, yes, have we, good I, fun. I loved it. I really. Loved well, it. public procurement is seen as one of it's, the it's very, uh, more complicated it's areas complicated. of policy. It, but yeah, and and precisely there is this. Um, there has been a problem of trust, you know, when when trust is broken, and that's the situation in that country that there has been a lot in many countries uh, on public procurement. But I uh, I remember very well that working with the public procurement authority, there was this wind of reforms. We had the opportunity um, to to work with uh, with all the team there of the public procurement authority that precisely had this idea of 
a, a much more decentralized system, much more with a, a real vision, and precisely trust, bringing back trust. I remember uh, by then he was, I think, deputy uh, Mr. Pellegrini. He now was, prime minister. Now prime minister. He, he, he made a speech and I was, uh, and he said, of course, you have all these problematic, but we have to uh, realize that the majority of people that are working in these are honest people that want good, you know, good uh, outcome for their countries. And through all this policy work that you've been doing, now you land a job in the School of Administration when you're transforming the leadership of the institutions. And at the same time, you find so much time to really work on day-to-day -day basis with kids of Belgium. And somehow it's very similar. I don't know if it's similar to the walks, but you also have some programs for them which uh, are about silence and meditation and nature. So what is this work that you're trying to do here? And walking, of course. And walking, of, of course. Of course, there is walk everywhere. First, it's not day-to-day -day work. I have to, I mean, I have a lot of day-to-day -day work in, in my job, but during holidays and so on, we, with a number of friends, we have um, decided to engage in this kind of educational program for for young, well, from, it's young, from 12 to 30 years old, so it's not that young, and uh, reflecting and helping Uh, maybe filling a, a gap that there is in the educational system, which is really about um, helping people to know themselves. You know, there is a sentence from Socrates, base of European philosophy, saying, know yourself and you will know the gods and the universe, something like that. So the knowing yourself is not just knowing your little selfish who am I, it's a much deeper question. And we are helping through a number of very practical, uh, help, helping the young people know the body through using martial arts in particular, knowing the heart, knowing who they are in from their heart, the emotional part, the artistic part, um, and from a spiritual philosophical point of view, knowing better. We have a we we live in a very materialistic world and op creating opening through better understanding of the sacred scriptures, mythology, and so on. What are they talking about? But in a very experiential way. So indeed, using meditation, using the walk, pilgrimage, uh, using, as I said, martial arts, and so on. So we pro And also reintroducing this idea of uh, uh, initiation. I don't know how you say it. You know, when in, in, in primitive society there, there was this idea that young when they the youngster when they reach a certain age they would go and 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 have uh, they would go outside the village and do some kind of uh, uh, challenges and so on so here we invite people we propose to these young people to spend three to five days completely alone in the nature Uh, with little food, just a bit of water, and just reflect and, and be. Because fear is the biggest limitation to human beings. So then helping young people from the start to not to be fearless, but to cope with fear, to say, okay, of course, if I'm staying alone in a forest during five days in the night and so on, of course I will have fear in myself. But it's not the fear that's going to decide where I'm going. I'm going to stand. It's, there is fear and there is me. And learning how to deal with fear is something so crucial that would then help because if you look at what drives very often even professional relation, 
fear is very, very often present. And how you can deal with your own fear, it's actually, it's, it's a huge step towards freedom because fear is what, more than anything else outside the world, it's fear that is locking yourself and, and, and affecting your freedom. So we do a lot, uh, of course, reasonably with them to help them to live uh, with fear and, and overcome it. This is so fascinating. It makes me think, how can you roll this out to all schools in Europe, really? Yeah, That's well. one of the disadvantages <laughs> of the fact that we don't really have too much competence in education policy. But yeah. do you have some kind of a vision of bringing it to the schools of Belgium or it's more of a weekend holidays kind no, of activity? No, idea there is the, I mean, and we have already started that. One of the idea would be to have you know, the young people that are 20, 30, working with those that are 12, 16, and we're starting that. We do camps uh, over the summer, and now we start you know, scaling it up with other young people that have gone through the system that themselves do it for young people. Yeah, but I think when we do that, but I, we won't be the only one. There are other people that do similar things. You, I, I think this thing will more and more mushroom. And, and uh, But of course, it would make sense to have part of these things in the in the school system. One last thing that I would like to ask you about is the concept of silence. You mentioned it was a big part of your walk. It's also part of the programs that you do with the kids. It's something that we don't have enough of in our everyday lives. And the first thing we do when there's a couple of minutes of freedom or non-activity that we have is we reach for the phone or we start basically binging on whatever we can uh, with our technology, whatever we have really um, at our disposal. How do you work with silence? How do you teach kids and people around you to be more comfortable with silence? Because you've shared the other day that you can go through these much longer experiences of couple days even of being in silence with yourself. How, what's the advice you give to the people who don't really have this practice and don't know where to start? Well, you remember that we we started that uh, there was a, there was a colleague in the in the commission that started the idea of the silence pose and uh, which I also I introduced. hope to interview her one day as I, well. Yes. So I introduced it in the building uh, where we I was working, and every Friday during lunchtime we had a, a time of silence and and precisely explaining a bit, uh, helping people to enter into silence because indeed this is not something that is natural for, for many of us, that is sometimes uncomfortable uh, to stay in silence. So, yeah, you need patience, you need interest. It's really an adventure. I mean, staying in silence for a long period, but you also have to some courage because you will see things that are not comfortable necessarily, but you have to go there with this uh, openness, this idea of open mind and, and interest and curiosity. Uh, and there is so much to learn. Do you need structure? So Do you need questions that you're inquiring into when you're in silence? Or is yeah. it really enough that somebody sits down on their cushion, they set their five minute, <laughs> ten minute, fifteen minute alarm and they <laughs> wait to see what arises in them? Well, no, there are plenty of podcasts, there are plenty of, of techniques, but I mean the easiest one is to is to focus on the, on the breathing and then the sensations. It's really, you sit on your, and you just observe uh, and, and your sensation. And when you say observe a sensation, is experience the sensations and breathe. And the most 
tricky part is the relation with the thoughts because the thought is what carries you uh, away. So the, the way you will, you will relate with the thought is really where you need a bit of skills and that takes a bit of time because in the beginning pff, the thought takes you completely and after five minutes you realize the, the, the alarm ring. You will not stop that, but the way you will relate with that may be different. You will not feed it. You will not feed the, the, the internal conversation and bit by bit you will gain freedom with your thoughts and that's a huge freedom again, a huge, because you, you realize that you are not your thoughts because we, have, we are so much identified with our thoughts. This is a sentence I've often heard from many gurus, you are not your thoughts. Can you explain how you understand this? You cannot explain that, you have to experience that. You, by, by sitting on a cushion in silence, well, but when I've just talked about fears, for instance, if you have all this fear, your, 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 your mind tells you all the bad things that can happen and you, if you start believing, all what your mind is telling you about the, the fear, you, you become your thoughts and you are the fear. Or you have this freedom where you say, whoops, I see all these mental, you know, uh, carousel, the things that are, but I'm, I'm not following it. I, I don't believe it. I simply don't believe it. And, and that's where you create this, this distance. And that can happen all the time in life, because all the time we are you know, embarked in our thoughts. And all this time, and that's what you learn in meditation, is not to embark, not to log in in the process. You just, you let that go. But of course, it's, it's, it's a training. It's, it's a, and, and then you may have this moment of pure silence. And that is really an opening to another dimension, but that's not even the most useful. The most useful is, is creating this distance with, with, your, with your thoughts. And the breathing and, and, and the sensation are, are ways uh, to bring you back home in, home in you yeah. and not in your thoughts. Thank you very much. This interview took a bit longer than usual, but it was such a beautiful experience. I hope it was so enriching for those who are listening to us that it was for me. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. And all the yeah. best on your, in your endeavors. Yes, and all the best uh, to you with this great idea of podcasts. Thank you for listening. For follow-up, you can find us on all major podcast platforms and all social media platforms, including our Instagram, Lights on Europe. So feel free to go there now and leave us your review, likes, feedback, as well as tips on who would you like to hear interviewed next time. Bye!